I just don't think I can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was a virtue. You know different. You know better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. Yeah. It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs, it takes effort and work. We are talking about people who are mentally ill. We are talking about people crazies. No, no, yes. we're not. No, no. Today. We're, we're, we're talking about everyday life here. We, you, you, you can't Today. afford to be this naive. I actually wasn't recording that. Good, good. And we're actually back now. And, uh... Our main topic this week, uh, I was actually—I I can't believe I had forgotten about this. Uh, when we talk about things with anniversaries, uh, right. remember my, you might remember uh, some time ago when we did our anniversary podcast. We were counting back every five years, and in 1995, we brought up Toy Story. Right, and Toy Story uh, was one of the biggest money makers of 1995. It was probably the biggest hit of the year, I think. Probably, and but before that. Well, actually, it had a lot of stars in it. Tim Allen, uh, Tom Hanks, but it also had a cameo role by Arlie Ermey. Yes, as, he, he Sarge, was... as Sarge, the uh, Plastic Army Man. But yes. he was, had a role in another 1995 film, which is having its anniversary right now. The film Seven. Seven. Uh, the film which uh, I could say pretty confidently put David Fincher on the map. Yeah, before way. this, he had only done, like, I think his biggest film was The Game. Well, no, 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 no. The Game came after Seven. His his movie before Seven was Alien 3. Wow. I guess then, yeah, this didn't put him <laughs> on the map. I mean, the thing was, was that, like, people knew Alien 3, but they didn't really like it very much because the no. studio... That was the sort of example of, um, of like, Fox pulling a Fantastic Four... Only I think there's more, there is some good things about Alien 3. But the point is, um, I mean, David Fincher was also known for music videos. Uh, and he's made a lot of great ones. If you Google David Fincher music videos, or come up with a lot of stuff. But here is where he cut his teeth on making a really solid murder mystery movie. Uh, what a lot, what became a kind of thing for a while afterwards. Uh, after Seven, there were a number of films which followed the sort of template of the really dark, grisly serial killer detective movie. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen a number of them, and some of them are okay, and some of them aren't. Oh, um, before we keep going, this. This episode is going to be full of spoilers. If you yes. have not seen Seven and you don't want it to be spoiled, then turn us off, go watch the movie, and then come back. Yes, uh, that that is a very good point. I think normally I would tell, I would say, I oh, don't don't care about spoilers. Well, we're going to talk about one that you know is a you might even say a magic trick. All right, it's not a magic trick, but it it has to do with something being pulled out of something, and all right, I, I'm 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 so tired. But the point is, <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, Take no, no, it easy, but Jack. no, no, we we should give a spoiler alert just for those people who might have not seen it, uh, and for, of course for those who have seen it, you know, check check this out. Um, so seven, you know it. 
What I like about it is that the first scene is, or the first couple of scenes, which happened before the opening credits, just show uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman first kind of getting to know each other. Because they're both detectives. Well, they meet. Well, they meet. Yeah, they're both detectives. Uh, Morgan Freeman is kind of the seasoned veteran. He plays Detective Somerset. Brad Pitt plays Detective Mills. Thank you for giving me the names, because I... For some, I, I would have, I probably might have remembered Mills. I didn't remember that he, uh, Freeman was Somerset. Um, they get assigned to, uh, this case that involves, um, I forget if I'm wrong. I think the first killing is, uh, gluttony. Yeah. And I, re- a fat man who was forced fed spaghetti until his stomach, it's funny, more or less ruptured. I, I don't really remember the first time I watched this movie all the way through. But I remember seeing that scene on TV and it making me feel like physically ill. Yeah. I, I that is a visceral scene when you see all the the and also the way that it's shot too, how Fincher and uh his DP um and I'm gonna mess this up. I think I wanna get this right. I think it was Darius Wolski who is the DP, and I just wanna be clear on that because I'd like to uh be kind to uh this movie in all the ways I can, uh, the way that they frame that it's very much in the dark, but when, the, when you see his body, it's just, it, it's almost more sickening than if it was in full light for some reason. Hmm. It, like carry, wearing... it carries the quality of, Oh, Darius Kanji is the DP by the way. And, um, what were you going to say? Uh, well, when they find him, he's just, he, he's bound hand and foot and he's wearing this huge sweat, sweat stained, uh, you know, tank top, shirt and he's just and you know he's huge Mm -hmm. it's uh you know that image of that man who who ate himself to death is uh (laughs) yeah it's hard to describe i all these and he the genius of seven is that it's it's in a way it's graphic and it's not graphic it gives you a lot of grisly imagery but at the same time you think you're seeing more than you are. And the reason is because none of the murders are ever shown on film. They all happen before the police show up. Yes, there there's there aren't any real killings shown on screen. There is a little bit of violence, you could say there's a big there's a chase, uh but mostly it's about the investigation. Yeah. It's just it's... about coming to these things after they've happened and in a way, there's both determination and kind of a sense of hopelessness. Mm. It's like, how did we not get this this guy sooner? And if I if I remember correctly, they find one of the victims and one of them is still alive. Yeah, but we'll talk about that scene. Okay, later. it's good that you mentioned the 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 police coming to to the aftermath of these killings because this is a this is what a horror film would look like from the point of view of the police, mm-hmm. it's a great marriage of genres. It's like a slasher film meets a police procedural. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much a police procedural. Um, I think it carries that throughout, but because of also the way that it'd be one thing if this guy was just, you know, putting a gun to people's heads and shooting the, the way that the guy is killing people is, in a manner of speaking, creative. Um, he has a very much this obsessive manner of 
conducting all of these scenes in such a way that they're almost more like tableaus or something. Yeah, as Detective Somerset says, if you if you want someone dead, you drive by and shoot them. You don't risk the time it takes to do this unless the act itself has meaning. Yes, that he and that's he, just one of the great quotes in and, this film. And in a way, the opening credit sequence um which on the surface looks almost like it's kind of outlandish. And, well, and Fincher like, has like a David's, pattern of that. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like David Fincher's music it, well, videos. Well, yeah, he has a thing with doing that. I mean, the opening credits of Fight Club and uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, they also have that quality of, uh, of ooh, lots of crazy, fast imagery that's meant to enrope an audience. But in that opening credit sequence, what you're seeing is a guy very carefully putting together his uh, notebook. And that's supposed to be the notebook for John Doe. Uh, so right there, you're already getting a sense just from that what this guy's sort of driven personality is like. Yeah. Um, even down to the song being used uh, closer, you know, you, the last words you hear are "You get me closer to God," and of course, uh, this character has one might say a bit of a propensity towards the biblical. Yeah. You know, with these well, seven deadly the sins. Least. Uh you know, the fact that he's choosing these seven sins and also that he's taken it upon himself to see that these people are worthy of these sins. I mean, uh, obviously if it wasn't for me like seven, then we wouldn't have saw, which I don't know. Saw is a much lesser. You don't think so? No, you're right. It's just, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. No, no, I'm not saying it's a good thing. But let's talk about the influences on seven. Like on what, seven, let's talk about what influ what influenced seven. I can think of one thing right away: Silence of the Lambs. Well, Silence of the Lambs, yes, but I'm thinking even further back. All right, M. you know, no, not that far back. <laughs> All right. So what? So what is seven? I said it's a marriage of a police procedural with with horror, but it's specifically linked to a, a certain a very distinct niche of horror i uh maitland mcdonough who's a film critic for tv guide she uh -huh. said that uh what seven really owes most of its uh imagery and and themes to is are the italian jolly films of the 70s and when hmm. we now let's think well, about films like hold mm -hmm. on hold on hold on give me a minute okay sure <laughs> but think about films like suspiria or uh i don't know if you've seen this blood and black lace yeah Films which are about, which feature very elaborate methods of murder, mm -hmm. which are which are done in seemingly slapdash fashion. They just sort of happen incidentally, and it makes a great deal of be it has it adds a lot of uh, color and great imagery to scenes of violence. Mm. Now, Seven does this in a way where it put such artfulness into the direction of the of these murders. We don't see what happens, but we see the photos of what happens yeah. and we see the aftermath and these uh these words which are scrawled at uh, scrawled on the crime scene and the puzzles left behind by John Doe. Um I could almost say too though um when talking about the Diallo, the, the one thing that I think is different though is that in the Giallo movies Especially in the Argento movies, he really emphasized the point of view of the killer. You all, you saw these slaughter scenes happen, often very much accentuated by black gloves and knives and, you know, that goblin music. Yeah. In this, like, as we point out, we come to the murders after. So I could see maybe for those portions where the cops are coming to the crime scenes, 
but not the murder scenes. Uh, as Roger Ebert points out, though, to bring up another critic, if we're going to bring up some critics here, which I think is pretty good. All right. The set, des- as he says, although the time of the story is the present, the set design suggests the 1940s. Gary Wisner, the art director, goes for dark blacks and browns, deep shadows, lights of deep yellow, and a lot of dark wood furniture. It rains almost all the time. Oh, yeah. We could say maybe Blade Runner is an influence on this film, too. The way that you have this very rainy, yeah, why does gloomy rain, city. Why does rain make things seem so claustrophobic? It just does. I mean, so, like uh, somehow, like the city in Blade Runner, that's claustrophobic. Like people are stacked on top of each other, even when they're walking down the street. Yeah. But somehow when you make it rain, it makes it like 200% worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, it also has to do with, uh, you know, you talk about how, you know, Fincher has a reputation for being very much a, shall we say, meticulous director. Uh, of course, at the start of his career, he was very, you know, he was, he couldn't, I don't know if he was doing a hundred takes like he was always doing it but one of the things that is interesting though is that he uh had a very specific way to do things with the the color correction i remember reading a book years ago about david fincher films uh where he um actually would make he would he would color time it as we say or or color correct it to make it even blacker to the point where mm. people who originally saw this movie uh, were complaining about things looking too dark. So I think for the VHS release, he had to lighten it a little bit so people could see it just a little bit easier. Mm. And even when watching it today on DVD, it, it, it does have a lot of blacks and a lot of gloom. Yeah. Um, One other influence, I think, something that... This is kind of an off thing. But I would... Uh, the similarities between these films are, are a little too too obvious to ignore have you ever seen the abominable dr fives uh, it's been a long time i i did see it when i was like in, in college or something right i mean they are two very different films but dr fives is basically about a man trying to get revenge and killing his enemies it, through the theme of the 10 biblical plagues i i can i can see that too um yeah or or the way that theater of blood is reenacting uh uh, Shakespeare, right? Killings, the the thematic killings and the outlandishness of the killings. I mean, Suspiria. You you talked about the point of view of the killer and the the, the music. I th- but think about how people die in Suspiria. The first victim cr- crashes through a stained glass window and gets hung yes. by an electrical cord. One mm-hmm. falls into a room full of yeah. barbed wire uh-huh. and then gets her throat slashed. And some guy and a blind man gets attacked by a dog. Yeah. But but again, I bring up the whole thing of that how, in a way, I can see your Giallo comparison, but I think that it's, if anything, Zodiac is closer to being like a Giallo movie, because there you actually see at least a few times the the killings take place that, that happens. Well, yeah, that but the killings sense? themselves aren't as artistic as as what we'd expect from a, from a Giallo. I mean, it's basic, it's just a, it's a man with a gun wearing a hood. There, there's no there's no intricacy and no uh, no other me- it's, uh, Zodiac is a serial killer movie. I feel like the mood of Seven is much takes itself much more seriously than even the uh, Well, yeah, you're you're absolutely right and it's the marriage of the genres. Hmm. It's it's the police procedural meets the horror film. No, 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 the horror film I get. I just I guess I'm having I can I can see the connection. They're both about serial killers. 
Let's talk about the performances a little bit. I think that uh, both Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are terrific here. Freeman is really good. I don't think they've really ever good. done anything quite like this since then. Hmm. Brad Pitt is... Uh, he's... Like, uh, Morgan Freeman, I think, gets gets by more on this more or less on this sort of mentor uh well he's done that in other films yeah what i'm saying he's also done other serial killer movies too he did a movie called kiss the girls uh he used to he actually played the character alex cross in a couple of movies yeah i've just never seen freeman like this this active in a film before and when you say active you mean like just physically may uh not necessarily physically it's just like hmm how would I explain this? Well, let's not wait for me to explain. Uh, <laughs> but Brad Pitt is good. He's not super glamorous in this. He's no, he he he's not. Yeah, he he's kind of just presenting himself as this young guy who wants to really uh, he's... show up and do and like really do good work. When we see him early on, you get the sense about his character because he's there. Like there are a couple of scenes I remember. Uh, somebody did a video essay about this online, and I, I, I apologize if I'm leaving your name out, but they did a good point of showing how, um, like, there are a couple scenes where you see Morgan Freeman's talking with Arlie Ermey about the potential case, and Brad Pitt's sort of there in the room, but they're not paying attention to him, but then he brings up something, and all of a sudden, Morgan Freeman's like, huh, okay, you're here now, you're making some good points. And he kind of, that's how you kind of, they come together really in the case. Right. And I think Fincher does a good job of making good drama out of just people talking. Hmm. So maybe that's what you're thinking about. The way that, you know, there's a good deal of talking in this movie, but people are constantly trying to figure things out. Uh, Pitt and Freeman are trying to hunt down clues. Um, that one moment where they're at the door in the hallway and uh, they don't know whether or not it's they're they're just running down a clue and all the way down at the end you see a guy come in he suddenly stops and they kind of turn to look and then gun gunfire comes right. and that that to me is such a tense moment cuz it's like oh that's him yeah and you know, of course they do a good job of not showing him the rain i think was important for that too to kind of hide the fact of who this guy is in that chase um, Gwen Paltrow is good too. Uh, she's not in the movie at that much, but she has a really good scene with Morgan Freeman where they have kind of a heart to heart. I right. remember. I think what's 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 different about Morgan Freeman in this film is that you get this sense that he can fail. Morgan Freeman yeah. in a lot of his films it has, uh, I mean, he's, he's world weary. In this film, yes. In other films, Morgan Freeman doesn't have any sort of fallibility about him. He's he's not as vulnerable in this. Hmm. No, no, no. He's not invul as vulnerable in other films. He's just a cop who's trying to do his job, and he he's he's seen some stuff in his time, but this is actually shaking him, and he needs to still put up that fr of that look of okay, I'm still professional. You know, I'm still trying to take this all in. Um, I always remember this this one moment of him sitting at his bed and he leans over and t gets the clock that little metronome. metronome ticking back and forth. That's an image that stuck with me. Hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about. But then some... we have to talk about the the big role that's in this. John Doe himself. Detectives. Yeah. Are you looking for me? 
<laughs> Sorry to be loud there. People. Kevin Spacey signed on for this film with the condition that he not be credited until yeah. after the uh, until the the end credits. Yes, he shows up then. Um, yeah, he does not show up until that point. He's not uncredited. Um, he, but he does. But he's not on any of the posters. He wasn't on any of the. He wasn't on the like the the. He yeah, wasn't and it was it was credits. it was a wise move. It, you know, if you're watching the movie, you're you're waiting for the moment. All right, when's Kevin Spacey coming? When's Kevin Spacey coming? You know, he um, it's an interest. It's a great choice because it's a uh, like imagine if um, you know, it's unlike with like so let's say the Third Man. You see Orson Welles in the opening credits, and you know that Orson Welles is supposed to be Harry Lyme. And you know, you know, even though you you're waiting and waiting for Harry Lyme to show up, when he finally does, it's kind of like, oh, that was cool. Yeah. It's but it's not a big surprise. This is meant to be a big surprise. Yeah. That, you know, you want you don't want to know who this guy is. I mean, uh, maybe if people didn't know who Kevin Spacey was, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But by this point, he had been in Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, swimming with sharks, and 1995 was a big year for him too because he also had the Usual Suspects. Oh yeah, and he, which is it, the, it, which is the movie of, that got him the Oscar. Um, a and, sort of infamous role, but still, yeah, one of his most famous. Yeah, another movie that has its spoilers. It has its share of spoilers. <laughs> but we'll talk about that uh, another time. Well, eh, maybe some, maybe someday. But uh, and then he comes into seven. Oh, you know a movie. You know a movie he was in also in 1995. I forgot about this outbreak. Who cares? All right, who cares? Um, but he comes in here and yeah, pretty much steals the show. I mean, he has this long scene with the characters. Um, he's leading them to something. Uh, which almost you know, I when I saw the movie again a few years back, I almost thought, is this a little implausible that he's bringing them out into this space and it's just the these two cops. With this guy who has killed a lot of people. Not necessarily. I mean, you talk about plausibility. I don't think anything in this this film is really implausible. Hmm. It's very much based in reality. I it, And it has an air of plausibility to it. I The, the whole premise is that John Doe is a, obviously a very smart man. He has wealth from somewhere. But we'd never learned much about him. And he's been planning this for a very long time. There's nothing in this film that really seems to be implausible when you really look at it. Hmm. Okay. No, I no, I could I could I could see that for sure. Um, his uh, John Doe's speech in the back of that car is uh, really iconic. Yeah. I, I I remember. I think about that a lot. Like the way that he he had you know you you can think you know you could probably think you know or you will think he's an evil bastard, but. He has a point of view, and he expresses it rather forcefully. He has good reasons for doing bad things. <laughs> he has good reasons for doing horrific things. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just like, this, you know, that that's why I like this movie so, so, so much better than a movie like Saw. Because in the mo- in a movie like Saw, yeah, you're told that, yeah, the, these people who died are, you know, they, they deserve to be killed. Uh, so says this jigsaw, whatever. And yet, what, really? But why do they have to die? Does, that, that that that's kind of bullcrap. Yeah. Like it's almost like the movie is trying to put you on the side of jigsaw. 
Seven doesn't do that. Seven is a little is more ambiguous about its intentions. It's meant to just show what how much it will break down between good and evil. I mean, by the end of it, you know, Morgan Freeman comes to this point. He does he quote Nietzsche? No. Who's he, he quote? quotes Hemingway? He quotes Hemingway about. Uh, I believe that men are oh men are something and something. I believe the, I believe that the, the earth first part. Is, that that the, that the earth the is full is of a fine place and is worth fighting for. Oh, I, I believe the, the second part. I believe the second part. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's you know by the time it's the only line of narration I think in the whole movie too. You're right, and it, when you really think about it. Kevin Spacey's John Doe and Somerset, they have a similar point of view. How so? Because Somerset is very weary. He He's he's a little cynical about the world itself. And, mm. he, and he constantly says, you know, you, you can't be naive about this. I've I've been on this force for a long time and I've seen ter- I've seen horrible things. And yeah. And then was and it, he, John and Joe people, comes back with, well, if you've seen these horrible things, you know how deserving people are. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, Somerset talks about... He gives a speech in a bar. He says, no, apathy is a solution. Uh, It's easier to beat a child than to raise it. it. It's easier to steal than to work for everything. I mean, this is just the way things are. And Kevin Spacey, he says, yeah, this is the way things are. I am going to shock everybody out of their out of their complacency by showing them these horrible sermons about the wages mm. of sin. That's not a plug for the podcast. <laughs> Touche. I, he, he takes it a step further than Somerset by preaching this sermon about the seven deadly sins yeah. which are around people yeah. at all times. Mm-hmm. And he says we tolerate it because it's common. They they do yeah, yeah they they do share that worldview where um Mills does not. No, Mills is Mills, just Mills is just like you're an evil fuck. And that's part of and that's his problem, Mills. Mm. He he's a person who doesn't who hasn't succumbed to the worldview like Somerset has and he thinks that cre- and yeah. he, he and he constantly espouses this yeah. view that John Doe is he's evil because he's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, I, yeah, but what, what I like though is that, um, in that scene in the car, Fincher, you know, he doesn't really tell you the audience. Sometimes you you kind of know from how the director is, is kind of has given you these characters, who's who 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 do you side with? Who who is the audience? Sometimes directors will do that when they're making a movie. They'll say, okay, well, we'll have this character here, and he'll kind of speak for the audience, and yet. That's not that simple in this movie. No. Some people might be more on Somerset's side. Some people might be more on Mill's side. Some people might even be on John Doe's side. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to meet you, person. But he, again, the conviction that he puts forward, it's just like, all right, yeah, underneath, yeah, some good reasons. Why do you have to kill people in this way? Well, well he says that. He says, these days you can't tap people on the shoulder and say, and... And at, and asked to speak with them. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer, and then you have their undivided attention. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot that. Full one. of great lines. There's a lot of good lines in this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, all right, so I don't know. Should we talk about the ending? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And again, 
it's just another thing where you don't see anything. You don't no. see any murder. You don't see any blood. You don't see the head in the box. No, it's uh, and it's especially shocking because you can kind of even if you haven't seen the movie before, you know that something really dreadful is ha- is oh, ha- they, about they, to happen. They've been building up to something because everybody's wondering why does john joe want to take us out to the middle of nowhere why is he so confident what is his master plan and then when it does hit you Mm -hmm. it's it's devastating yeah and here's a little bit of a, a bit of trivia the movie originally ended right after mills shot john doe Mm. where you're seeing that view from the helicopter and you just uh, in this big wide shot and that's when it ended that yeah. was the oh so it didn't end. have the daniel ma of him and the and gang arrested right and when that was shown at the the test screening three people came up to three women came up to uh david venture to the people is that whoever made this film should be shot <laughs> that's when you know you have a hit folks um i think i think it was the right decision to add that little epilogue I think so too because, because and then you also have to think about well uh yeah so what's going to happen to Mills now I mean he's been a solid cop through most of the film Well I think I don't think his well I mean yeah he's had oh he's had flaws as a person I mean, you could it, say that he hasn't treated Gwyneth could Paltrow pro- all, like that like perfectly well, yeah, um, but he's was, had his flaws there but, but there, and there yet were... and yet it's you know he he's a tragic character too he's been kind of pushed to this limit where it's like you you see Brad Pitt's face in that in those moments before he does shoot John Doe and I oh man I just I remember so much pain in that in his face and it's like yeah absolutely you, you've you've taken away anything that's made me care about life and the horrible thing is that John Doe wins because yeah it's a because it's a, it's a dark has, ending because Mills has has believed that the the most evil people are the abnormal people. But he, but then he's clearly shown that he has the capability to do something horrible, and he does it. And mm-hmm. you know, there's no one going back. But in that film universe, I'm pretty sure he would he would kind of get off. I I, I, I have his, thought about that because I, his wife's severed head was in a box. He, dude, considering considering how easily cops get off for certain murders in this country. I, I don't think he'd have that big of a But in problem. the end, it's not that big of a deal because he's already lost enough mm-hmm. to, to, be dev- to, to devastate his entire life. See, you, you should listen to yourself. You say that the problem with people is that they don't care. So I don't care about people. It makes no sense. You know why? You, you care. You, you want to know? Damn right. And you're going to make a difference. Whatever. The point is is that I don't think you're quitting because you believe these things you say. I don't. I think you want to believe them because you're quitting. You want me to agree with you and you want me to say, yeah, 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 you're right, it's all it's a mess, we should all go live in a log cabin. But I won't. I won't say that. I don't agree with you. I do not. so whether he goes to prison or not doesn't make a difference yeah it's almost like one of those seven almost has in a strange way it's like you could say john doe is like a batman villain in a way in a way batman villains were bloodier and more religious yeah 
Well, there have been certain Batman villains that have been a little bit religious. I remember reading this oh, comic but John years back. Called, well, the way that his whole plan comes out, I mean, that's that's something like the Joker would do. Right. To create total mayhem and chaos and keep, you know, the cops not knowing which way is up and, you know, keeping ve- keeping it so that he people can't figure out how what, how how can we get this guy. And you want to know something interesting about the ending? Mm. The the ending that we got with the head in the box mm-hmm. was the first draft of the script. There was a second draft that the screenwriter had made, but David Fincher accidentally got his hand on the first draft, and he read it, and he said, this is brilliant. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. And But he only wanted to do the first draft, and that's how he got involved. And then... He had to fight for it, but then he got Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt on board for the for, for the head in the box draft. What was the second draft? Was the it second just, draft was, it, was they, they, they they take John Doe away and it's he's not, I'm not sure, but whatever it was, there was it was much more Hollywood, uh, much more that, Hollywood ending. That's interesting. And and well, he was, I, it certainly yeah. didn't end with Gwyneth Paltrow dead. Yeah. Well, that was the th- well the guy who wrote this. His name's Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, he also wrote the game after this. He. Uh, when he was writing the script, this is kind of one of those stories that you sometimes hear about with screenwriters, and you think, oh, maybe this could happen for me. He wrote the script over a couple of years while he was working at uh, Tower Records. Huh. So uh, I always thought that was kind of a cool that was kind of a cool fact. Uh, that that story reminds me a little bit about um, uh, Kubrick with uh, Clockwork Orange, the fact that uh, people criticize him in the movie. Uh, because he, the movie doesn't have the ending from the book, where in the book, uh, Alex, you know, he's in the hospital after taking his fall. Uh, he he makes the sort of deal with the uh, the 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 politicians to, all right, I'm gonna put on a good face and you know suck up to you guys so that you know there's no big problems or whatever. Um, you know, a very satirical ending to a very satirical film. In the book, though, after this, you see Alex as if he he tries to put another gang together, but then he realizes, oh, I you know that this whole gang thing is not good. Violence is stupid. I'm gonna stop this. I'm gonna get a family and lead a normal life. Uh, Kubrick had a copy of the book that didn't have that ending. Oh. American books didn't have that ending originally, and so he just shot the book the way it was. And I, yet, I always wonder, would he have kept that original ending? And I'm not sure he would have. Maybe not. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Any uh, final thoughts on Seven? Well, I want to say, talk a little bit about one of the, the most famous death. Well, two of the, uh, two well, of the best from, deaths. All right, well, well to, to me, the, the pro- like one little problem I have is that gluttony and, I'm going to say... Sloth really stand out in my mind. A couple of them, though, I've, I'm I'm a little bit hazy on. Well, uh, Gluttony is the man who eats himself to death. Yeah, Sloth is the no, guy who's that, tied that, to the bed. Greed? No. Well, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That Gre- one. That one stuck with me. Greed is the lawyer who has to cut the who dies from blood loss from cutting the, oh, the, the flesh, flesh off of his uh, body. Then there's yeah. Then there's Sloth, who was played. By a man named Michael McKay. Mm. Now you see that you see that that man strapped to the bed. Mm-hmm. He is not a puppet or a dummy. He is a man. 
And he <sighs> was this very thin man who was who actually had been in a lot of films. He played, um, among other things, the mummy in Monster Squad. <laughs> nice he was used to makeup roles and things like that so he got uh so he got hired for this he had to do an audition where he just david fincher said all right just stand very still and then just lay down very still and then slowly look at the camera yeah and then he nailed it and he had to and when he got the part he had to go through 14 hours of makeup jeez well and david fincher's uh, direction was all right. You've got to hold your breath because if you don't hold your breath, we're gonna we're gonna see it, and that and that was basically what he had to do. But in the big climax of that scene, hmm. that was a real scare because nobody knew he was a real man. <laughs> well, yeah, that 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 I uh, he now, was now so good at up, staying yeah. still and not breathing. That when he finally takes that breath and starts coughing mm. and everyone freaks out, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> the, the actors mm. went insane. Yeah. I actually have a couple of trivia pieces, though, going back to that ending. Apparently, David Fincher and Morgan Freeman actually didn't really care for the Hemingway quote. Yeah. Like, they actually, the studio kind of put the, 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 the ending narration compromise. Uh, and um, a couple other things. Guillermo del Toro was approached to direct. He turned it down because as a romantic, he thought the film was too dark. Yeah. That sounds, uh, David, David Cronenberg also turned it down. Huh? Uh, which you would think this would be his kind of, this would be his kind of movie, but I don't know. Cronenberg is all, is all about showing. No, but it's all, but a lot of this movie also has to deal with the body. And, you know, he deals with that a lot in his movies. How, the body itself is this kind of instrument of uh, almost psychic or physical or spiritual energy or something. And how it's mutilated in this film is very much in keeping with uh, mutilation themes. Mutation. Yeah. Your body body's turning against people. Yeah. I don't think, th- I'm not sure that this really fits though, because mm. maybe it was just too... It was so overt about that body element. Well, and also the fact that not not no mutilation or anything is really shown. I mean, it's it's all after the fact. Mm. Yeah. Um. Let me see a couple other trivia pieces. Uh, Michael Stipe was considered for the John Dole role. Who? Michael Stipe. I don't know. Of REM. Really? Well, you don't know REM. I know what REM what is. I just don't know all the. Show? I don't know all the members of REM. You, you would know him because he's the lead singer. Shiny, happy people holding hands. Do you know the lead singer of every band? I know famous ones like Michael Stipe. All right. Well. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, anyway. Um. I don't know if I have that much more to say about it. Now, I should say, to be honest, this isn't my favorite David Fincher film. I think that, you know, I, he, 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 Fincher got thrown every single serial killer script after this movie. Hmm. As you're, as I guess is bound to happen, if you make a movie this good, it's like almost your punishment is to get sent, you know, make more movies like this. We want more of this. And he, 
if I'm uh, being a little loud there, it's because of my energy and passion for David Fincher. Um, <laughs> but he finally did come back to uh, the genre with uh, Zodiac. Right. And not only do I think that's his best film, I think it's just one of the best crime procedural films ever made. Hmm. I think that takes a lot some of the stuff in Seven. It has... I don't know if I could say it's more mature, but it it has it replaces sort of the so much of seven is so grisly some of it's so hard to take and yet in zodiac there's a good balance of following these police on this real hunt that takes years you know the events in seven take place in a relatively short amount of time seven days well seven days yeah um and so um I don't know. So I don't know how. What, what what kind of thoughts do you have about this movie? Well, just to button up my thoughts, I. But I would still say for you to go see it. Yeah, it is really worth it. I would say that Seven is a great culmination of a lot of the horror stuff that we've seen. It really, uh, it really elevates a lot of the horror tropes we talk about. Yeah, it does it in such an artistic way that a lot of people really don't know know it as a horror film. People think give it like people give it the the, the classification of thriller or it, well, crime. It, it's and a it's a horror thriller. So is, right. is that a, is that is that they're trying to be too cute with the distinction? Because I think that is what it is. Well, genres are weird. You you can blend things together, and admittedly, th- uh, seven is is a is a mashup of genres. I'm gonna stand by my horror thesis, but I. Well, you could also say that about like Silence of the Lambs as well. Yeah, you could. Okay. Um, I think yeah, tremendous performances, uh, really uh, uh, sh- shocking moments. That you know, even seeing the movie years later, I- I'm still kind of shocked by the ending because I, in a way, I almost forget that it's coming. Right. Uh, and um, and yeah, I uh, just a lot of the cinematography is really great. How um. Very little of this is handheld. There's maybe just a couple of shots with handheld photography. Uh, that's something that I've noticed over time with Fincher. He doesn't really like handheld. He's very careful about how he shoots things uh, in terms of how everything looks and moves. He has a lot of smooth moments in his movies, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, Seven. It's been 20 years. And uh, careers have been shaped and uh, entire genres have been changed due to one movie. Right. You could say. Um, all right. So if, if you have any thoughts about Seven, uh, you could send an email to us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. If you've seen it, uh, if you have any more questions about it, if you think that's that, that's a disgusting movie. You know, like that's like uh, Walt Disney, uh, when he saw Psycho, he wouldn't let Alfred Hitchcock ever come to Disneyland. Cause he's like, he made that disgusting movie psycho. Um, <laughs> or I don't know if he'd no, I don't think it was, that was the story, but I think that he wanted to use some actress from one of Disney's movies. And it was because Hitchcock had made psycho that he was just like, no, I'm not dealing with this man anymore. Uh, so if you have any stories like that, <laughs> yeah, send it to us at wages at gmail.com, or you could send a message to us on Facebook uh, we have a page, uh, Wages of Cinema Podcast. Uh, we're all, I'm also on Twitter, at Jack Gattinella. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we post a lot of clips and special little goodies from movies. And, uh, um, and 
Yeah, and also we have a Tumblr as well, if, if people are still on Tumblr. I sometimes post to there. Um, and you can follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, check us out on iTunes. If you, That might be easier for you, or vice versa. And for the Wages of Cinema, I'm Andrew. And I am Jack. And let me remind you that the Wages of Cinema is death in several different gruesome symbolic ways. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Good night. Seven!